1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. I'm Janet. I'm Mel. And I'm Tiffany. Here at ABG we get a lot of messages about careers, questions about how to figure out what you want to do, tips on applying for jobs, best practices for interviews, and so much more. As much as we love sharing our personal experiences, the three of us are by no means experts. So we were really happy when we connected with Tiffany Sue, who specializes in recruiting and talent acquisition. If you're a member of our Discord community, you may have seen that our community lead, Adriana, hosted a live session with Tiffany recently. We got so much positive feedback from that session that we decided to bring her onto the pod. Tiffany is currently a senior
3: recruiter and program manager, early talent at BitGo. Prior to this, she spent time at both Palantir Technologies and Robinhood, where they were hybrid growth startups where she helped countless students land their first internships and first full-time jobs out of college. In her role, she also had a heavy focus on career growth, such as managing intern programs and hosting resume workshops. She's passionate about professional development and is excited to share insider knowledge and insight that'll help you navigate the complex and sometimes nerve-wracking job search process. Tiffany grew up in the Bay Area, what up, and graduated from UC Davis with a double major in communications and managerial economics. Outside of work, you can find her on the hunt for the new boba shops or out and about at the latest array in town. She does wedding and event coordination on the side. Please welcome to the
2: Asian Boss Girl podcast, Tiffany! Yay! Yay,
3: Tiffany! Welcome,
2: Tiffany. Hi. We are so happy to have you here with us today. Um, In today's episode, we're going to go over everything from the career exploration process to applying for jobs to crushing the interview and also getting the offer and negotiations. So that's a lot of ground to cover, but we are feeling well-equipped with Tiffany by our side. Um, So I'm just going to kick us off with the first question. I'm going to make the statement that I think a lot of our listeners can relate to. Say I currently have a job, but I'm unhappy what are some questions that I should ask myself when I'm thinking about my next move?
1: So one thing that I really think about when you're unhappy is to really diagnose like which pieces are making you unhappy and at the same time, which things are. Um, So to kind of get the ball rolling, some common things could be, are you unhappy with the management style? Like maybe you want more room to explore more creativity, but the management Mm -hmm. style there is like, spelling everything out for you, and you don't enjoy that so much. Um, Sometimes it could be you don't feel your work is valued. I think that's pretty common, where you feel like, I'm putting in the work, I'm doing really great things, and they're trying to keep me in that bucket instead of kind of opening up opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the last one that I've been hearing more and more is kind of like this disconnect that you feel with the work that you're doing. You might really like, you know, your role, you might really like your team, but maybe like, the mission or like the product of the company isn't something that you mm. um align with. So, I think when you're kind of thinking about what's making you unhappy, if you take some time and really dig into it, I think a few the key things can stick out to you. And hopefully it's not like everything. <laughs> hopefully it's like some things you do enjoy and some things you don't. Um and I think it's really important to diagnose that because I think when some folks are unhappy with where they're at, it tends to make them want to run kind of head first and just run away and jump into whatever pops in Mm -hmm. versus being more thoughtful. I think my mentality is you want to run towards something you're excited about rather than like run away from something that you're trying to basically just, just get out of.
3: Tiffany, as you're kind of advising our listeners to like run the diagnostics, as I'm saying this right, you just remind me of literally a friend of mine just was kind of sharing their grief at work. So, so pretty much um, they like everything about their job. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you have a manager that you don't click with? Like, mm-hmm. is that something from your perspective, is that something you would advise to stay at the job or would you be like, look for somewhere else?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like to think of a job as kind of like like a house, right? There are maybe mm-hmm. a lot of pillars that keep this house going. So a manager is one of those pillars. The team could be another pillar, the job itself, maybe upward mobility, maybe even things like compensation, like all of these little things kind of keep this house standing and this job good for you. Um, So I would say in her case, um, you know, having a manager that maybe you don't necessarily click with means that one of these pillars keeping up this house isn't Mm -hmm. there, but you still have some other strong pillars making it okay. Um, What I would say would be a good time for her to start exploring is if this the relationship with the manager starts impacting maybe her growth, or she's starting Mm. to feel like this isn't a place where she's even happy to be like this relationship is draining, then that takes away another pillar, (laughs) because it's not Mm. fun to be there. And then she feels like, oh, I can't grow because they're not helping me, then that's another pillar. So I would say just if it's like a relationship with a manager, it varies, like a manager could be your best friend, but it could sometimes just be like a working relationship. It really could be either way, but I think it really matters what that relationship turns into ultimately Mm -hmm. and what it opens up for you. No, that's great. Yeah. I I love
2: that you've created this um, structure for us where we're looking at pillars of a job and then also Um, setting the standard that you should know what you're running towards versus running away from a job. Because Mm -hmm. I can definitely speak from firsthand experience after my first job, I had that inclination after two weeks to run away. (laughs) Um, But I did, you know, what you had suggested, Tiffany, was just kind of sit down and try to like write out like, what are the things that I I don't like about this job? And Mm -hmm. could I try to make it work, right? Or were there enough things about it that I enjoyed? But- it turns out that when I when I kind of did some deeper thinking, I realized that it was really the industry of work that I did not like. So mm-hmm. in that in that kind of decision making, I knew then that I would. It made sense to leave this job. So say we have our you know supposed ABG listener right now who's unhappy at their job and they um, did some you know thinking and processing and realized that I definitely have decided that I want to look for a new job. Mm-hmm. Um, When I was looking for my new job, the main uh, resource that I used because I was career switching often was boot camps and also LinkedIn to kind of, you know, try to network. But I'm curious um, from your perspective, if you could share, you know, more thoroughly and kind of in a more thoughtful way, when is a good time to start a job search and what's the best way to go about it?
1: Starting a job search, I think, should begin whenever you just feel like there's something new that you want to try. I think, how would I phrase this? So when you start a job search, it doesn't have to be like full send 100%. I'm going to be leaving and trying something new. I think sometimes people think mm-hmm. I have to, just apply like 100% of my time to this, I have to do XYZ. Um, but there are kind of different ways of how aggressive you want to be with your job search. And so even if you feel like, hey, there's this opportunity that sounds a little bit interesting to me, like, don't be afraid to explore, you're not signing a contract <laughs> to join them right now. Um, so I would say if you do feel at least some part of yourself wants to see what's out there, it really never hurts to, to do that. So I would say the time is always now. Um, and You know, you kind of change a lot in your career year after year. Um, So Mm -hmm. maybe you think that you're not ready for something new, but if there is something out there that a friend recommends something or you see a new company that's exciting to you, I don't think it hurts to just have those conversations. Um, And then for your second part of the question, like how to get started, uh, I think that list from earlier is going to be really helpful where you have a list of things that you really Don't enjoy and things that you really do enjoy. Um, And I would say you should go even further to think about things that are really important to you in a role. And I really encourage people to not be pressured to conform by what other people think is important. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, sometimes like, you know, people have this idea, oh, you have to go, you have to grind, you have to really, you know, pull, put all of your effort, you know, into this, Job, etc. Mm-hmm. Then some people might be, you know, starting new families, and they really care about maybe things like a work-life balance. And some people really like to travel, so they don't mind being on the go. But then some people maybe work better in an environment where they can stay put um, and really dedicate themselves. So I would say, when you're thinking of this list of things that are important to you, um, don't be afraid to kind of really think about the things that you want instead of what maybe society or what your friends might say, or are, are things that make a good career. Um, and then from there, uh, it's really I think helpful to also not um be afraid to look for things that you might think are out of reach. Um this is just an exploratory phase. You're putting basically down everything that you might be interested in or things you might think are important. Mm-hmm. Like I would say a couple of years ago, like wanting a remote job was basically almost impossible, like whatever job you wanted, you had to go into the office and you're like, I don't even want to consider what it would be like to have a remote job. And then now the industry has changed so much where it's like pretty much like a norm almost where if you want to be remote, you can. So I would Mm -hmm. say when you're thinking about things that are important to you, um, there's no constraints here. This is like your own personal list um, to really find what could be that dream job. And then, kind of wrapping it up, I would say, like you mentioned, like LinkedIn has been really helpful. This next part is just going to be really deep research. So, if you really care about, you know, working in like the healthcare industry, like the product is really important. You can look up, you know, the top four to five places that kind of tackle these opportunities. Um, if you ultimately want to, you know, become like head of design somewhere, like a senior designer or something, maybe look up the designers that you really admire, see where they've worked, see where they got their start, Um, just look up places or roles that fall under all those categories that you're interested in. So if you have five things that are important to you, five places that satisfy each of those things, you kind of have your starting point um, on where to explore. So that's been really helpful for me, because sometimes you'll find that maybe even one company satisfies multiple of those things or a role will satisfy multiple of those things. So it sounds like a lot of work, but I do think it's helpful to kind of limit your parameters because it's scary when you go online and there's like millions of opportunities out there. You're like, where do I even start? So Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful to think for yourself first Mm -hmm. before trying to like look at jobs and trying to fit yourself into that job description. (laughs) Yeah. I think that yeah. is great advice. Um
2: I, I often found that yeah, the the first inclination is just to go onto LinkedIn and start looking for what jobs are available, right? But mm-hmm. you aren't going very well equipped and you're mm-hmm. gonna be easily influenced to whatever's out there or just feel like, I don't know, all these jobs look good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, exactly. Yeah. So
2: that internal really reflecting on yourself and what you're what you like and what you don't like, what you're good at, what you're not, is is so important. So thank you for sharing that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also want to echo that because I feel like I remember actually just graduating college and I think one of the things that we seek after graduation is like prestige. It's like, well, I want to work for Google. I want to work for Facebook. And I'm just like, well, in reality is like, do I like the, Do I believe in the product. Do I believe in the mission. What is a management style? Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think as I explored careers the last 10 years, you realize that like, wow, like I really care about a good manager, like a good manager and like how they manage me because I don't, I don't like work. If I, if I, if I don't have like a team player or, as a manager, but I don't think, you know, this when you're in college, you're like, Mm -hmm. all right, I'm just going to apply for whatever pays me the most and has like the most well-known name, you know, but I do think as you identify what you truly value as a person, Mm -hmm. it's also easy to identify what you value in a job. So these are really, really helpful tips. All right, Tiffany, for all our high achievers out there, kind of like myself, which I'll say we're probably very familiar with the concept of like, you know, setting goals, you know, when it comes to managing our careers, what are some tips you have for setting or defining career goals?
1: Uh, I think with most goals, it's really helpful to think long term first. So Mm -hmm. you have, you know, you're here right now um, and try to envision yourself, you know, at the end of the tunnel. So after all is said and done, what kind of work do you want to be doing? What kind of roles do you want to have? What do you want to have achieved? Uh, I think that that's really helpful because. You know, sometimes people don't really think about what's next immediately. They have this ultimate dream that they want to achieve. So when it comes to your career, I would say how to get to that ultimate goal is to first kind of do some research and some networking to understand that. So, for example, um, for me in recruiting, there are kind of a lot of different paths. You know, I started as a coordinator, which means that you do a lot of the logistics and scheduling behind recruiting. And when I became a coordinator, I didn't really know what was going to be next. Like, do I become a recruiter? Do I go on to HR? Do I maybe do recruiting events? Like there were so many different paths out there and I didn't really know ultimately what I wanted. Um, So I just connected with a lot of people in the industry, with mentors, with people on my team to understand what this could grow into. And then ultimately at the time, one thing that really interested me was becoming like someone who creates like talent recruiting and recruiting in HR at their at a, at a company. So being the first person to do that and build out all mm. these functions. And once you kind of get to that ultimate goal, I think what's really cool is you find that everyone gets to that ultimate goal very differently. So when I did some research on who's the first like recruiting person at this company, some of them have been doing recruiting their whole lives and kind of follow this path like that. And then you realize some of them maybe were engineers first, and then they really loved part, like working with recruiting. And that's a career change that they wanted to make. Um, so what I mean by this is you have an ultimate goal. And the next step is to really find those sub goals to, to get mm-hmm. there. And each person's path is so different, uh, which is why I think this part's kind of the most interesting part, because sometimes there's a conventional path to get to where you want to go, but there's also a way to kind of take a different route and achieve different things along the way. So, in terms of setting career goals, I think everyone should try to at least start off with an ultimate goal, and this ultimate goal can change. It could mm-hmm. be this right now, and it could be something else a couple of years. But if you have something in the long term that you really want to achieve, um, that'll help you set kind of those sub goals in between, so that you know each time I change jobs, I want to hopefully check off a few things. Mm-hmm. in that sub goal list. Like if I ultimately want to, you know, start my own company one day, it probably makes sense to try to manage some people first. And then if I want to manage some people I should probably get some experience doing the job itself first. So you can kind of yeah. work backwards from there.
3: Would you also say that it's either helpful or not helpful if within career goal setting to mm-hmm. create like timelines, like by, I guess you said, like I need to give myself two years or five years. So here different things like yeah you should set timelines but at the same time it could kind of be this added pressure
1: Mm -hmm. yeah Um, I don't know
3: your thoughts on that
1: yeah I think timelines can definitely be helpful um and maybe just view them as like a north star where it's something that you aim for but at the end of the day if it's like faster than that great and maybe there are some snags in the road and it goes past that but it's not all an end-all be-all it doesn't mean you should stop pursuing that i think it's good to have north stars for mm-hmm. that reason um but you know i don't think it's going to be something that will like make or break you know your progress i think it probably also depends on how people are motivated uh, mm-hmm. like if timelines are really something that you find helpful um it could be But um, yeah, I think for me personally, I find it helpful to kind of have these sub goals and very broad timelines, but not like if I don't achieve it by this time, I'm going to feel really disappointed kind of thing.
0: Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy?
2: You don't need a summer getaway to transport yourself. Book your smooth escape with the wax experts at European Wax Center. I used to only book my waxing appointments around vacations and events when I planned to be in bathing suits around other people. But years ago, I decided to start scheduling my wax appointments around moments when I wanted to perform an act of self-care for myself. Nothing beats the comfort of that smooth and frictionless feeling after a clean wax that only you can feel. And as someone who is often in yoga pants, Regular waxes make a big difference in my comfort level, which is why I'm a regular at European Wax Center. The secret is their signature Comfort Wax. It's a proprietary blend of beeswax sourced from Europe and other skin-soothing ingredients that allows them to remove hair easily for a virtually pain-free experience. Their certified wax specialists are expertly trained in prepping, protecting, and pampering your skin. And their online booking system makes getting a reservation simple and straightforward. Book your smooth escape with the experts at European Wax Center. Make a reservation today and your first wax is free.
3: Um, so I'm going to shift the topic over to applying to jobs. Yes. The, the first question I'm going to ask is something I get asked by my little brother who is six and a half years younger than me. He's 24, mm-hmm. 25. And I'll be honest, I don't know if I have the right answer to this question because this is something I questioned when I was applying Mm -hmm. for jobs. I don't know, like eight, so many years ago. But how important is a cover letter? Like, is it actually necessary? Because I hear like my friends who also hired, they're like, I don't read that. And I was like, but people put so much effort in a cover letter. yeah. So what do you think? Is, Is it important? Is it needed?
1: Yeah, so first, before I answer that, I think it's important to maybe set some context around like who's even gonna read the cover mm-hmm. letter, um, because it could vary. So um, just in general, um, I would say the reader is usually either going to be a recruiter, so someone within the talent function, or it's going to be a hiring manager. And mm-hmm. I would say as the company gets like larger and more established, it's more likely going to be someone in recruiting. Um, I know some people think like the hiring manager is the one that always reads it. But unfortunately, in most cases at a large company, they have a lot of things on their plate. They're being you know pulled in a million different directions. Uh, as a recruiter, we basically sit down with the hiring manager to dive into what are you looking for? You know, what are these traits? How can I find this person? And we become the subject matter expert um, to review mm-hmm. that. So I know sometimes people think, you know, this cover letter is going to go to my future manager or it's going to go to et cetera. But I would say depending on the company that you're applying to, it can vary a little bit. Um And then going along with that, I would say the larger the company to um, the less likely the cover letter will be read. Uh, I'll mm. go into some nuances here and there, but again, it's mostly due to the fact that there's a huge, huge volume, especially for some of those large companies where you post and then the next day there's 500, 600 applications um, to review. And with Ooh. that being said, um. Unfortunately, you know, might they might only have like less than a minute, you know, to review each application, mm. and they spend a lot of that time on some of the things on the resume or other check boxes that the hiring manager told them to, to check. Um, so I would say it varies a little bit. Um, and again, some of the nuances I mentioned earlier is sometimes you, you might have someone in recruiting that you know does have some time to review all of these. So it doesn't mean it's not going to be read ever. Um, I've seen some scenarios where maybe, you know, the recruiter is torn between this application or this application, all else equal, maybe they'll turn to this cover Mm -hmm. letter to be the deciding factor, you know, between who they move forward with. And so I would say it's never going to hurt you, you know, to submit a cover letter. And then, um, yeah, kind of last note on this one too, is I mentioned it's less likely at a larger company. So if you are maybe applying to a role where you know, the company is really small, they might not be hiring too much, and they might not even have a talent team, then that means that there's a high likelihood that this letter is going to be reviewed. Um, Mm -hmm. I've noticed too, when I kind of work at companies a little bit earlier stage, they do have kind of more time to be uh, more detailed, you know, in these reviews. So varies a little bit. My bottom line kind of here is if you have some time, definitely, you know, try to submit one because it really doesn't hurt. Unfortunately, we can't guarantee that it's read, but sometimes Mm -hmm. it could be like that make or break factor. So if you're super pumped about this role, uh, I think it could be a good idea, um, just to have it as like an extra, uh, bump, you know, in your application.
3: Okay, great. I'm going to forward this podcast podcast (laughs) so he he knows. I had a follow-up question for this. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been in corporate and I remember yes. I was playing like, can you tell me the difference between a recruiter versus hiring manager? Because I, sometimes I get confused, like, is a hiring yeah. manager a specific role within a company or is it like, I'm also a hiring manager because I'm looking so, for to fill my team or like, how would you differentiate the title? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I would say a hiring manager um, is basically the person in most cases who's going to make that final call, uh, whether or not that person is going to be hired. So a hiring manager's responsibilities can vary, but in most cases, what happens is a hiring manager for so someone on the team, usually the manager is like, I need to build out my team. And mm-hmm. they are basically going to get assigned to a recruiter. And then that's when that partnership happens. So um, as a recruiter, I don't define the characteristics of this person. I actually work with the hiring manager. So I'm like, hey, what are you looking for? What skills do you think they need? What do you Mm -hmm. want to interview them on? So um, kind of help them build a plan around it, and then help them actually find the candidates. And then the hiring manager will kind of make that final call um, on that. So to answer your question, basically anybody can be a hiring manager. It could be a design hiring manager, engineering, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, it's basically that person making that final call. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. thanks for clarifying. Yeah. So and then in terms of the role, like so
2: the hiring manager could potentially be your boss or it could potentially be your boss's boss or or
1: whatnot, mm-hmm. right? But it'll be yeah. someone who, who is in charge of giving the green light or the red yes. light in your hiring. Yeah. Okay. Yep, exactly, and they're usually going to be the ones too that have like the subject matter expertise on your role. So mm-hmm. to be honest, like sometimes when I'm hiring for maybe like a really technical role that I don't have background in, um, that's where the hiring manager is really helpful because they'll help define some of those qualifications. They'll be able to review the interview feedback, etc. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we're
2: seeing that the cover letter varies in importance depending on yes. the company, yeah. but um, knowing that you're likely going to craft one, what are some like best practices? the content? Yeah,
1: best practices on a cover letter, I would really recommend using it to talk about things that aren't reviewed already in your resume. Um, I've definitely seen some cover letters that basically kind of spell out very similar things that I could read off of the resume. So they're saying, you know, I spent two years at this company doing Mm. this, and I really loved it. Um, unfortunately that doesn't provide me too much more context than what, you know, your resume actually did. So if I were to write a a cover letter, I would really recommend using it to maybe add some of your personal like motivations Hmm. or really maybe detailed examples that make you a good fit for this role. Um, I feel like on your resume, you can't always tell why this person wants to apply here. So maybe you have, a really great experience with this product in the past that has made this your dream company for a very long time. Or maybe you took on this project at work and it really opened your Mm. eyes to this industry and you want to tell them about, you know, this experience of yours. I think it's really your chance to add your personality um, and also maybe the why behind this, you know, this role. Uh, Again, that could be a big differentiating factor between, you know, one, two resumes equal, and then one person, you know, hasn't shared anything about why they want this. So maybe they sent their resume to a 100 other places. And this is just mm. one company that's on their list versus someone who took the time to actually say, these are actually the reasons that that made me want to apply. Ooh, okay, that's yeah. really, that's a really
2: great way to, uh, to position it. It is the why you want to work for this company.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: In terms of applying for jobs and the different qualifications. So we all kind of know in our upbringing, it was, you know, do well in school so you can go to a good college and you mm-hmm. go to a good college so you can work for a good company mm-hmm. or, or something. But nowadays, um, mm-hmm. especially with education changing so much, you know, mm-hmm. there's all these like boot camp programs and online yeah. schools. Um, nowadays, do employers actually care what college you go to and what you majored
1: in? This this answer also varies a little bit, so I'll dive into the nuances. Um, I would say in general, the more maybe specialized your industry and your role is, um, then generally the more important maybe your major is going to matter. So, for example, you know, if you're going into research or some sort of science or healthcare or Mm -hmm. something, they're probably going to have stricter requirements on what degrees you you need to Mm -hmm. have um and you know your certifications etc like these practical skills are going to be crucial you know in succeeding in that job so i would say for some of these um, roles like for engineering obviously they want to probably see some sort of like technical stem major etc so i would say in that way it's probably still going to be pretty important um and then for some of the more non-technical roles, there's obviously more variety there. Um, I would also say that the practical experience that you have, though, is going to like trump whatever mm. college you know you went to or whatever major you have, especially like later on in your career. I think first, you know, coming out of school, it's going to be pretty important because you don't have too much experience, and so companies might dig into you know all of those things, but. Let's say that you, you know, didn't study this, but then you had practical real world experience at this company um, that, you know, the fact that you didn't study that is not going to be a, a big factor. But when I uh, also work with hiring managers, uh, they really dive into like things that obviously are important for them. And so, If they, you know, are looking for a particular skill set and they know that this school has a really good program that covers that, or if they know that this school offers this kind of curriculum, then that might be an area where like a school is important or a major is important. But in general, yeah, bottom line, you know, practical experience will trump that. But Hmm. early on, it might be something that is um, taken an extra look at. Good to know. This
3: is, yeah, this is very helpful. I'm <laughs> like, I think for me, I'm just like, I mean, I'm, I'm not looking for a job, but like, I'm yeah, like, if I were to, I know I'm, I'm, like, I'm really well equipped. <laughs> so my other question for you is, yeah, I haven't written one in a long time, but I remember how it it could be so daunting. Um, but mm-hmm. what are some common mistakes? Yeah, that you see on resume because I remember one in college when you used to all write the resumes. Yeah. Start every bullet point with like
1: an action. (laughs) Yeah. Past
3: tense. And like, does that still matter? Like, I don't know. Yeah. What are some mistakes have you seen?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So first and foremost, it sounds really basic, but I think formatting is like Mm. really, really important. So a couple tips and tricks here. Uh, I won't dive too deep into the details, but there's a lot of recruiting software out there. So when you, you know, upload your resume, it can go into like so many different, you know, formats. So my biggest recommendation here is to always like upload your resume as a PDF. Um, Mm -hmm. We've, I've seen some people do like TXT files or Word files. And by the time it gets into the software, it's like, one word per page or something and like, or some words become symbols. It's like a mess (laughs) and it's really hard to get, you know, reach out to them and get the correct format. So first things first, you know, with kind of how everything has been changing and all these different recruiting software, kind of save yourself the heartache and save as a PDF, I think is really, really important just so you ensure that what you're submitting is what is going to be viewed. So that's a big one. My second piece of advice is I think with all like, job applications and whatnot, people feel like they need to stand out. Um, Mm -hmm. And they might be sacrificing like clarity in their resume. So they really want to be different. So maybe they use this font that's maybe a little bit hard to read, or they prefer to maybe put their education here on this side but then Mm. it's kind of covered up by other information that they've put so my second piece of advice is there's a time and place for creativity like I think if you're in you know submitting an application for a design role and they're asking for you to show off you know your design skills in this resume then then you can kind of flex on those creativity skills. But in most cases, I would say, you know, resume templates are there for a reason. It's because they're really good and they're easy mm-hmm. to read, easy to skim and just very clear and direct. So don't feel like you have to use like crazy colors, crazy fonts to make yourself stand out. Uh, I think the experience that you have is gonna speak for itself. So don't, don't spend too much time again trying to like make it look too different. Um, mm-hmm. What the content I would say is most important. And um, yeah, I think the last like common mistake that I see is that the the bullet points supporting each experience ends up being a little bit like too vague and it doesn't really tell us like the impact of the work that, you know, you did. So Hmm. for example, you could say that you led this project with, you know, three other people. But then you don't really talk about the success of that project. So you did this project, but did you save the company time? Did you, you mm. know, sell this much of the product? Um, did you save this many resources for, for your company? So it's really great if you, you know, have these big accomplishments. But I think ultimately, a lot of the times, it doesn't tell us too much of a story of like what, how you did it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think also kind of going back to your original question, like I think, you know, having action verbs starting off, like all of those things are important. But ultimately I would say like the content of of it is gonna be the ultimate deciding factor. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that's
3: so true. I feel like <laughs> every four you're like sound as like Impressive as possible, oh, yeah without being too crazy. I remember that was like the thing uh, back in college.
1: Yeah, like have thesaurus.com next to you and <laughs> just like putting in like yeah. a, a synonym for every word. Yeah. Yeah,
3: that's what I did. Um, <laughs> I should update my LinkedIn. But um it's so funny because like I, th- I think this is great advice for resume building because I have noticed the trend actually. There is definitely more creative resume templates now mm-hmm. than when there was when I was in college. Yeah. And to this day, I still use an I-ba- iBanking resume template and I'm just like this is a little too dry for me because I work okay. in creative but at the same time it's finding the right balance of like you could be a little creative but not like yes. don't make it harder for the recruiter to read.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And Tiffany, what about for some of our younger applicants out there who maybe maybe their first job that they're detailing on their resume, they don't really know the impact of their work and they're Mm -hmm. kind of just focused on their daily tasks. I think Mm -hmm. that's probably the first thing that they're going to think about. What's a good tip to kind of walk them through how to go about revamping that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even if they're not quite sure maybe of the impact of their work, uh, a good way to flush it out further is to share more information about how maybe they accomplished those things. So let's say that they did, you know, write this project for this company, uh, maybe talk about some of the tooling that they use. So what? tools you familiarize yourself with, Um, maybe talk about the number of people that you collaborated with. So you could show that you have good communication skills, et cetera. Um, So if you don't have the end product, I think showing them the building blocks that you use to get there is also equally helpful. Um, And then kind of going along with that too, I think some people are kind of concerned if they make a career change or maybe the work that they do isn't relevant to the role that they're applying for. Uh, I would say like, don't feel limited by, you know, just the deliverables of your work. So again, if you maybe trained up a new person on your team, that's that shows a lot of skill. You can definitely add that as like a bullet point. Um, maybe you did side projects or maybe you do some sort of volunteer work that's relevant. Like, I think all of that is hmm. fair game. Um, I don't think you need to define experience by like a nine to five. Um, experience can kind of come in a lot of different ways Wonderful. So you shared with us, you know, to
2: avoid trying to use creative crazy design as a way to make your application stand out. But many of us know that, you know, some of these jobs do have hundreds and hundreds of applicants. Yes. What are some tips you would have for our listeners to help them stand out in the application Mm -hmm. process?
1: Yeah, great question. I always start off by saying the job description is your best friend here because Mm. the job description was basically, created to spell out exactly like what the hiring manager um, is looking for. And I think in the past, uh, you like having one perfect resume was like the thing. You have this one perfect resume that you spend a lot of time on and you send it everywhere. But I think the best method is to actually have different versions of your resume catered to that company, because even if you're applying for the same role, I think, you know, using design as an example, a designer at a 10 person company, the qualifications are very different from being a designer at a 1000 2000 person place. mm -hmm. And the things that you kind of share on your resume should change um, because of that. So start off with the job description. And diving in a little bit deeper, I would say, you know, when you look at the qualifications, the responsibilities, try to see if there's something in your roles that you can relate back to that. So if they're asking for experience in Photoshop and you did this Photoshop project that, you know, covered this and that, add it in there. Um, If you, you know, have worked in a company with um, kind of like the same industry as the one that you're applying to, add that in there. I think the job description is basically kind of like this checklist of things that you Mm -hmm. can check off. And don't be scared if you don't check everything off, obviously. um, But it's just a really good starting point. Because as a recruiter, you know, if I'm supporting a role that I'm not familiar with, um, my, my hiring manager was the one that trained me. So I'm looking for these keywords, I'm looking for these things that Mm. will convince me enough that this person's worth moving on to the next round. So I think the job description is just a really, really great place to start. And if you do feel like you don't fulfill everything, that's totally fine. I think it'll also just give you some ideas of skills that you can potentially work on as well to kind of round mm. out you know your your application yeah, yeah that is that's a great tip
2: to focus on is the job description is pretty much a map for you exactly. to, use to kind of cater your resume um and i liked how you highlighted on catering your resume um different like customizing it for different roles because i do think that there's this inclination probably especially when we you know first get out of school to just like spam your your one templated resume to everywhere um but for those for certain companies yeah like if you really want to putting in the effort to custom your experience to their specific job description really could pay off so wonderful mm-hmm. advice thank you yeah yeah
3: how about couple of comments to this response it actually as you're um, giving that advice tiffany yeah um, it's actually funny now because janet and myself and helen we're kind of like hiring managers ourselves now because we'd like we we just um we're hiring for a new role and it it is interesting like how the how your tips can be really applicable because i think one time we got a resume we got an application and then jane and i were like this person had nothing on their resume that reflected what we were looking for Mm -hmm. and i was like i'm very confused it's a pretty yeah. bad
2: sign when you can't tell from the application what role they're applying for. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So. Like,
3: mm, okay. Interesting. Um, in terms of the application process and mm-hmm. standing out, yeah. I was also taught that, see, I don't know if this is the right or wrong thing. Cause my brother also, my brother, <laughs> all this career advice. And sometimes I'm just like, dude, I have no idea. I don't know what's what, I don't know what the right thing to do is anymore mm-hmm. because I'm not a recruiter and it's just been so long, but I also remember that usually after you apply for a job, it's like, yeah. I always have to like find their email, message them, letting them know that they apply. That's so you could stand out and like mm-hmm. make an extra effort of emailing the team member. Yeah. Is that frowned upon or is that like
1: good? Yeah. So it's not frowned upon. Like, I don't think it hurts in any way, but a couple things to note, I would say first is to, if you're going to do it, do your research and try to make sure it's as correct as possible. I noticed that sometimes it's like hard to figure out who to reach out to, which I totally get, but I've had some hiring managers who say they get emails from folks, but then it's not like a role that they're hiring for. Like they don't even touch that, that role. And sometimes yeah, folks will reach out to me to check on their application, but I haven't even touched like the role that they're hiring for. So it's really hard to get right, like the right person, I would say. So I would try to make sure that you're 100% or close to 100%, you know, ready to send it out to that person. And um, the second thing to note is to make that outreach like a quality outreach. And that it's adding something to your application because I think if you you know send something like hey I just applied it would be great if you could check it out it doesn't really add much to mm-hmm. your application. Um, from the times that it's happened to me, I think the most powerful ones are ones that kind of act as like a miniature, maybe cover letter, something along the lines of "Hey, I just submitted my application the the other day." Um, adding on to that, you know, I have some really great experience in this. These are some of the projects that I did. So this job this job really stuck out to me, and I'm really excited about it because of X, Y, Z. So. Um, yeah, to, to sum it up, I would say, you know, do your research to make sure that it's the right person first and foremost. And if you are to send an outreach, like this is basically an extension of yourself. And so you want to make sure that you're adding, you know, onto what, you know, you're submitting. And um, yeah, it's not an end all be all though. You know, you don't have mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, but if you are to do it, I always say, like, be very proud of the work that you're putting out. So be uh, very thoughtful about these outreaches. I love that advice because
3: mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are just like here. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, it's like no uh, evaluating what the added value is with these types mm-hmm. of things. Exactly. That's a great note. Um, I do want to switch the topic over to yeah. the next step, which is like, once you get, you know, your application, you got mm-hmm. accepted. The next step is the interview, like how to crush yes. interviews. And I thought I'd share a story real quick because mm-hmm. my first interview actually was, I do not say traumatizing, but it has shifted. It definitely like shifted, like how I handle interviews moving forward. Like, so my first interview was to be like a campus ambassador where like I take students and parents on tours around the campus and it was at UCSD. And I didn't I just don't like business casual was like you should just go business casual. Like I should have in jeans and like a American Eagle very like lightly thin <laughs> buttoned out and like the, you know the affinity scars back in the
1: day. <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: and I showed up and everyone I see that it was a panel interview. Like I wasn't the only one and I was like shocked because I was like, "Oh my god, I don't know how to handle this." Mm-hmm. And I saw that everyone on the interview was like properly dressed and I think that really intimidated me and the fact that I was like sitting amongst like five six students and it was like in front of a full staff of faculty, like six of them too, it just threw me off and I wasn't prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, what would your advice be to tackle a panel interview?
1: Mm-hmm. I know so that don't you, want, so you want end up tough. like me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a couple things I think first and foremost. When preparing for panel interviews and just any interview in general, um, try to do as much like pre work as you can and pre research as you can. I think the recruiter that you work with is going to be helpful. I know sometimes people are worried about maybe asking too many questions or like maybe they're not allowed to tell me, et cetera. It really doesn't hurt to try. So if you're preparing for your, like you have an interview coming up and you have no idea what it's going to cover, just like send your recruiter a message and be like, Hey, I'm preparing for my interviews. Can you tell me who I'll be meeting with? Mm. What potential questions will be covered? um, What the topics are going to be and what they can provide is, It can vary. Sometimes they can be really detailed and actually like spell it out for you. And then sometimes they might not be able to, but they can give you general themes. Like I'd recommend reviewing this or recommending Mm. doing that. So I would say kind of start off with that because I think a way to not be, you know, taken aback is to try to know what you're getting yourself into (laughs) before you start. So it always, it never hurts to do that. Um, So that would be my first one. And then the second, I think in a panel interview, um, as you know, if you have a panel of interviewers, I've noticed that most of the time, folks in that panel are there for different reasons. So, some person might actually be a potential teammate of yours, and then another person might be maybe a PM that you might work with. And then another person might be someone in HR that's there to maybe gauge your cultural fit. You know, Everyone is on kind of the panel for a different reason. So I would say the way I've seen people really crush it in a panel interview is that they, are able to really understand why each person's there, either like their role or like what they're looking for. And when you're answering questions, I know it sounds really hard because you're juggling like so many different things at one time, but if they were to ask you how you would navigate the situation, if you could craft an answer that is somehow something that each of those people can find value in. Cause I think sometimes mm. in a panel, like people will like space out and like this, I have no idea what they're talking about, et cetera. So if you can maybe paint the context for them, mm. you know, have an answer that is something that they can find value in is, is going to be really helpful, um, way to just be more aware, you know, of everything that's mm-hmm. going on, but it is really tough. I feel like those don't necessarily set people up for success because of all those different factors, but that would be my two cents.
3: No, for sure. I think when you said, like, know why, kind of understand why each member on the panel is there to interview mm-hmm. you, I feel like, and also knowing how to prepare for interviews is, is really helpful because I remember my roommates can attest to this, but I remember like, my preparation for this interview was I was pretending to give a tour of my campus in my kitchen. And like, <laughs> I was like, this is this building here. I, don't, I, was, like, I was like, why am I right minded? I think that was going to be the interview, like, me giving a fake tour in front of everyone. Mm-hmm.
1: Like,
3: I don't know why. <laughs> I, I just had no idea. But yeah, I think it's a good tip to be like, hey, if you're not sure, just ask, like, what mm-hmm. is, What am I, what is this role looking for? Yeah. Thanks yeah. for sharing
1: that. Yeah. And I think these days there's a lot of, you know, websites out there that people submit, you know, their own information. So if your recruiter can't tell you anything, just try Googling it, seeing if someone mm-hmm. went through it recently. Um, it could be just a good way. A lot of my nerves get quelled when I just have a better idea of what I'm getting myself into.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a great tip to be able to reach out to um, the interview team and just ask Mm -hmm. them, you know, who am I going to be seeing? What things should I be prepared for? Mm -hmm. Um, Along with Mel's story of the panel interview, I have another, another, I guess, like type of interview that I also bombed. It was, I think, my first job out of college, like first corporate job. So I really had no background and preparation. Um, At the time, like, I didn't know too many other people that were working in industry. And the interview that I went on ended up having a case. It was for, Mm -hmm. like, a consulting gig. And I had no concept of that. Um, And I totally just, like, bombed it. You know, And for those who maybe haven't heard, a, a case interview is one where they give you an assignment. You are given maybe 30 minutes in the room by yourself to kind of work out a problem solution. Uh, and then you are having to present your work. So, um, you know, I think talking now about there's a panel interview. That's the type of interview there is. You could come into like a case, like a problem solving homework interview. Um, could you break down, like, what are the types of interviews that someone might expect? And and also specifically, if you had to problem solve, like, what are some ways to prepare?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so trying to think, I think a few of the interviews that pop up, uh, depending on the role, there's probably going to be some sort of interview that gauges like your hard skills so if you are going to be you know in a technical role it might dive into you know coding or maybe algorithms or whatever um i've seen for maybe design roles they'll have like take-home assignments potentially where they'll give you a prompt and then they want you to create something and then send it back to the team for review. So I would say if your role like requires, yeah, some sort of like domain knowledge or some sort of deliverable, you can probably expect your interview process like at some point to like test um, mm-hmm. on those skills. And I think when you're preparing for those, uh, it's really important to also think from the perspective of the interviewer and try to understand they're asking me this for a reason. What are they trying to, to see from me? Are they trying to see creativity? Are they trying to see maybe really clean code? Like there are going to, there's a reason, you know, each of these interviews happen. So I would say when you're kind of crafting your solution, it's really helpful to think, you know, from the interviewer's perspective, like why they're even asking you this. Yeah. Um, and then I would say now we're also kind of trending in the direction of having like behavioral type interviews added in too. So even if you don't necessarily have that experience, you might get some hypothetical questions like, you ran into this, what would you say? Or if mm-hmm. you ran into this, what would be your solution? Um, those are also like pretty common, especially for maybe some of those non-technical roles where they can't, you know, test if you can do this, but more so the scenario that you would have to kind of adapt to. Mm,
2: Good to know that there may be different types of interviews depending on Mm -hmm. the role you're applying to. Um, Tiffany, what are some other ways that our interviewees can put their best foot forward during this part of the job application process?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for interviews, like my, like what really changed how I approach interviews was having this idea that I call like an interview toolbox. So Mm -hmm. like I mentioned, like The biggest part about being scared of interviews is you don't know what to say or you're scared you're going to freeze or I'm just not going to know the answer to this. And basically with this toolbox, what I usually do before interviews is I have, I reflect back on my career, you know, all the jobs that I've had, all the projects that I've done, and basically have like this toolbox of stories that showcase like my best experience. So projects that I've led and I have a whole, like people like to hear stories, right? People like to be engaged. So I, you know, set up the context, you know, our company was running into this. This was what I did, who I partnered with, the tools, and ultimately it led to this. And so if you have a bunch of these stories ready that really showcase the best of you, um, after that, you can just simply add like bullet points. Like this story showcases that I have good communication. This story Mm. showcases that I adapt really well. And then this story showcases that I'm flexible. This story showcases this. So instead of being kind of nervous about all the questions that you're gonna be asked, I think this toolbox is great because I basically have exactly what I wanna show them. And I know exactly what skills these cover. So basically, anytime they ask any question that's related to these topics, I have like an example that I can show them. And it's made me so much less nervous because I Mm -hmm. feel like I have a holistic picture of myself that I'm ready to share with them instead of like waiting for them to like bombard me. I'm like, hey, these are the things that, that I know. So I think that's a good way because, again, to put your best foot forward, you should have a good idea of what you want to tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, so this toolbox has been like, it can be ongoing too. just have like this doc saved for yourself. And then every time you do something cool, you add it and you can use it for next time. Yeah. I love that. I actually have my own toolbox too. We actually shared on a previous
3: episode, like yeah. maybe a long time ago, but I have this, I guess like master document with, cause most of my interviews were behavioral questions and mm-hmm. I did like. I would do like, I think I have 50 questions on this doc. Yeah. And I have all my answers ready to go. Yeah. So if I, I remember prepping for an interview, I just review it and be like, oh yeah, I said that. Oh yeah, this is for that. And I'll mm-hmm. curate certain questions to match the job description. But I think for me, it's like, it's just that feeling of like, what am I going to say? But yes. if you know like your first bullet point, you just kind of just, it just kind of flows out naturally. I think. Exactly. But it, it's also being prepared of knowing what you're going to say to mm-hmm. answer some of these questions. So I love that your toolbox um example cuz I could relate to that as well.
2: Yeah.
3: A lot of my questions are related to my younger brother just to <laughs> make sure he's well equipped and I'm being a good big sister to like and I'm shedding some good tips but mm-hmm. um what are your sort of insider tips and tricks on interviewing like for example one thing I notice is that like when I talk to my brother I think it's hard for me to give him tips because our personalities are very different. I'm extroverted. Mm-hmm. I'm actually more comfortable talking to people yeah. in a room. And it feels like a conversation for me. My brother is, like, really introverted. And talking, like, to a bunch of people mm-hmm. is just not in his nature. And yeah. I think his also – his his voice intonation is a little bit monotone. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hard to engage an interview person. So, Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess like what are some your what are your tips then for like in general or even for introverts or, mm-hmm. or and extroverts too?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good question. So thinking out loud, I think a good way to think about it first and foremost is that I would say in most cases, your recruiter, your interviewer, they really want you to succeed. You know, they they're spending a lot of time doing this. They're trying to build out their teams, and so approaching it like you know they want me to succeed they want me to you know share a great experience they want to help me get there is a good way to maybe quell some of the nerves um, because I think sometimes you know you're nervous because you feel like they're just waiting for you to mess up or they're just waiting to kind of move mm-hmm, on to the next mm-hmm. person but in most cases like we're we're there to just help you show your best self um, so that would be my first piece of advice is to kind of switch the mentality. Like it's a two-way, an interview is a two-way street. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're there to interview me, but you should also be interviewing them and seeing if this team and this place is a good fit. Um, and going along, I think with that two-way street, maybe, you know, trying to make the interview seem more like a conversation um, is going to be really helpful because I think sometimes they see, you know, the interviewer as someone who... Is controlling the conversation, maybe, or they're the ones that are driving it. But don't be afraid to, you know, follow up and like ask them questions back. So let's say that your interviewer asks you a question and you're not really sure what they meant. You're just confused. You're like, I don't really actually get what they're trying to ask me. Um, don't be afraid to ask clarifying questions. Like, oh, you mentioned mm-hmm. this, so you know, could you actually tell me this part of the question, what that actually means, or like, etc. Because I think sometimes people, you know, have been so used to interviewing that they just treat it as like, kind of like a script to read off of. So if you, you know, have any questions, if you want to dive in deeper, they're there to help you succeed as well. So don't be afraid to kind of ask your questions, you know, um, and treat it like that. And then I would say my last tip is to really, like, practice. I know people say this a lot, but I think interviewing really is, like, a skill. I don't think anyone is naturally, you know, good at it, no matter Mm -hmm. how, yeah. Like, I would consider myself, I think, an extrovert, too. But in the beginning, when I started interviewing, I think, you know, having that chit chat is great. But then I also just didn't know how to talk about my experience. Like I didn't know how to, you know, talk about my projects in a thoughtful way, or I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to give context, because sometimes I would just hop in and say all these things. But then I realized that maybe the interviewer doesn't know what some of these acronyms that I'm so used to using are, (laughs) or what some of these tools are. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. interviewing is definitely a skill. And I think it gets easier over time but it's just another way to kind of like practice i've done my fair share of like practicing with friends practicing Mm in the mirror like it sounds like weird but i think people just need to get more comfortable with like talking about their accomplishments and i think that'll help
2: that's great yeah Do you think also kind of like maybe some facial cues too, like when you're smiling, maybe your voice will carry more like
1: with confidence, Mm -hmm. more positivity? Yeah, yeah, definitely helpful. Um, I also find too, if you need a little bit of time to maybe like, you know, warm up to the interview Mm -hmm. or feel, you know you know, comfortable. um, I would say, like, take the time before the interviews even start, especially virtually, um, to just get yourself in the zone, you know, whether Mm -hmm. that means, you know, getting yourself into like the office, or I know everyone's like working remotely. So you might be in sweats or t shirts or whatever, if it makes you feel more comfortable changing (laughs) into something that, you know, is going to put you um, yeah, in a more comfortable space, feel free to, to do that, too.
3: Well, I wanted to add though, I love that advice, Tiffany, because I totally believe in having like getting yourself prepared. Um yeah. Helen Jen you know. Like, I have a little ritual before every job interview. I would like put on worship music, and then I, would <laughs> call, I would call my mom because I do think with interviewing, you're talking so much. It's like yeah. you have to warm up your voice as if you're about to sing, as if you're about to give a speech. Because if you come in a horse. You're, it's like I think your throat and your mind just kind of like doesn't – it's not connecting. So I do vocal warm-ups too. I yeah.
1: love that. I'm going to add that to my <laughs> my list of advice. It helps.
2: <laughs> no, yeah. I think that is a, a great tip especially mm-hmm. like I remember um, some interviews, you know, they'll, they'll have you come in for a day and you're starting in the morning. If mm-hmm. that first interview session is the first time you're talking in the morning, you're going to yeah. have morning voice if you didn't kind of like warm totally. up. And, yeah. So now for our last step of the job application process. Let's say we've gotten a job and we've gotten the offer, but it's not over because you get the offer and then there is the negotiations, which mm-hmm. I actually in my first job did not even know that I had the option to negotiate. So yes. Tiffany, I would love to hear you talk to our listeners about how to tackle the process of negotiating after you get mm-hmm. an offer from a job.
1: Yeah, so this is a big one. And I know that negotiations can seem... Really scary and just like a huge question mark and a huge unknown. So, to summarize it first, before I dive in, negotiations should just be based off of um, like data and facts and other basically concrete leverage um, that you can build. So, I'll dive into what that means. So, you know, let's say that you were to like get an offer and you see these numbers, you see all these components, but you don't really know how that compares, right? Is this a good offer? Is this a bad offer? Like, it could be way more than what you're currently making. But then you don't know if it's, you know, good compared to the standard. So my first piece of advice is to always like do your research. Um, there are a lot of salary websites out there now, and a lot of states are actually enacting a lot of salary transparency laws. Um, so it's a lot easier to basically get that information, you know, than it was in the past. Um, so do your research and try to understand, you know, for your role, for the city that you live in, etc. Try to get some kind of concrete data and kind of see where your offer is is landing. So that's a to just get a sense of, is this good? And if not, um, how much higher can I go? So I think research is really important. And then um, the second piece of negotiations is basically to like build as much like leverage as you can, we call it. So let's say that you realize, hey, this offer has gone as high as X amount of money, and I was only given this. And you're trying to go to your recruiter and you want to ask more. I think what people usually, how people usually fall off track is they'll ask for it and then they won't kind of defend. The reason why mm. they deserve it mm. so if your research says this that's great that means it's doable but you basically want to build a case for yourself so you can say things like i you know would love for compensation to hit this amount um if i were to leave my current company i'm actually you know up for a promotion later in the year and i'll be giving mm. up this amount of money or you could say i'm gonna be you know moving cross-country for this company and i did some research and shipping my you know, house materials is going to cost X amount of money. So I'd love the offer to be able to cover that. Um, Competing offers are really great. So you could say I'm interviewing at this place there, they promised me this, I'm still more excited about you. But you know, I want to be able to be thoughtful about my decision. I think all of those are concrete facts, um, which are not going to put anybody off. I think some people are scared, like, oh, if I negotiate, they're going to take back the offer or Mm -hmm. they're going to think that I'm just being selfish and all I care about is the money, Um, which is why, you know, when you do do your research and you do build a case for yourself, it basically eliminates all of those fears because they know you're not pulling this number. Out of nothing, mm-hmm. you know, you're not just mm-hmm. asking for a million dollars just because your research showed you that you know it's worth that much, and you know these reasons. So I think that's a really good way to approach it. First, is to kind of make sure that your asks are reasonable, but also you have reasons for it yourself. That's
2: wonderful. Mm-hmm.
1: I I think so often people get very shy
2: about negotiating mm-hmm. for you know for their salary, and I think some of it is maybe we associate that with like our personal value, um, but you. Building a case where you say, "Here's evidence of, um, you know, either work I've done or an opportunity I'm giving up." It's not mm-hmm. about you; it's about the situation. So yeah. that's a great. I think that's a great way to frame it and make it a little yeah. easier to kind of defend, yeah. you know, fight for your yourself.
1: Yeah. And my second piece, along with that too, is to always like approach negotiations as like a discussion, a conversation, and and with gratitude. So what I mean by hmm. that is. You know, sometimes it kind of comes off as like a demand where they're like, Mm. I'm, this was way lower than I wanted. And I want this. Um, And I think in those scenarios, you know, you never really know who has the power in a company. So just for some more context, like Recruiters sometimes have a say, but oftentimes it might fall into finance or compensation who kind of tell us what we can or can't do. So I think it's really important to always just approach these conversations with, um, yeah, just like gratitude. And, you know, I'm really thankful for this offer. I really appreciate all your time. Uh, I'd love to see if we can move towards this, you know, direction. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's going to be some extra work on your end, but I'd really appreciate it if you could kind of help me in this um, and then my second piece too is like, since it is a discussion, um, be open to some of their, you know, suggestions too. Because compensation can mean a lot of things. So even if they can't maybe get you the base salary that you want, but they offer up, you know, maybe I'll we can cover the relocation for you, or maybe we'll give you stock options in this way. Is that something that you'd be open to? So that's what I mean by a discussion mm-hmm. is, you know, you can start off with a starting point with them, but it's not usually going to be just one simple Mm -hmm. conversation it's more so you know kind of like a give and take and a compromise that that happens
2: it's great information for all of our listeners rewind back and replay some of tiffany's she articulated (laughs) it so well you get to literally directly type you some Mm -hmm. of those
3: wordings. well tiffany that actually concludes this episode with you i just want to say thank you so much because it's been extremely extremely helpful and i wish i just had like a I had someone like you when I was applying for jobs I feel like I did have resources but I feel like you hit like Janice, you hit on everything that I that you kind of need to like land you know your dream job yeah. or your first job out of college so thank you so much for spending time and sharing your knowledge with us and our listeners
1: you're welcome this was really fun I kind of think back to my own job search and think about mm-hmm. like the mentors that have helped me or like some of the kind of strategies that um, were helpful. So I'm glad that, um, yeah, listeners can, can kind of find some value in this. Yeah, and if our listeners wanna like LinkedIn stalk you or find <laughs> you on
3: social, yeah. where can they find you online if you wanna be found?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn is probably like the easiest, um, but I do, yeah, love like kind of connecting and sharing some career advice. So if there's anything that you wanna pick my brain on to feel free to reach out.
3: Awesome. like to send a shout out to a friend check out our link tree in our link in bio and click on shout outs and last but not least thank you to our super talented editor michelle for working all her magic on our episodes including
2: this one and with that we'll catch you all in the next episode Bye.
1: bye